It really is good to have you in worship with us today. And um, we've got something scheduled for you at the end of the service today that's a little bit unusual. You're going to have to hang with me all the way through and I'll see if I can bring you to where we're going with all of this, okay? But I want to start our time together looking at scripture today. Uh, We're going to look at Joshua chapter 6 in just a few moments. Uh, But before we get to that, an event happened here in our community a couple of weeks ago that I think will be a good way for us to, if you will, set up what we're going to examine today. You know that Friday nights in a community like ours in the fall are very important. We've got Friday night football and uh, as the TV station calls it, Friday night friends, you know, Friday night frenzy and there's lots of stuff that goes on and football is important to the teens and in their high schools, it's important to families and and, you know, it's very engaging and lots of fun. There's an event that happened at one of the football games recently, up, it so happens to be up at Moreau Forsyth uh, halfway through the game a couple weeks ago, there was a really bad injury. One of the key players on Moroa's team uh, got injured in a play and broke his leg badly um, to the point where not only did this, was the play stopped, but they had to shut the game down for quite a period of time to actually get him off the field. And uh, It's a long story, but it was obvious to those who were in the stands, this wasn't your, if you will, typical injury. Not that any injury is typical, but they people realize, man, this is a bad one. And I want you to take a look. There was a photo, there was a photographer there who happened to capture what the team went and did as they realized the severity of the situation. Look at the photo. Don't you love that? I love it because it says right off the bat, okay, we're football players, we're the jocks in the school, we're the popular kids, but we know that when it comes to moments like this, where we're gonna go, we're gonna go pray. Now, there's a bit of pride in me, which probably is not really all that healthy, but nonetheless, that four of those kids are from our congregation. And there, they're saying, God, help us to lead. Because we heard the stories later on how they gathered the guys together and said, we're gonna pray. I love the fact that teenagers, when it isn't cool always to pray as a teenager, will say, let's pray. And I'm glad they knew what to do. I'm glad they knew what to do in the middle of a crisis when life was presenting them with a challenge they hadn't anticipated. That's a great reason to pray. It's also a great reason to pray if we just pray because we are doing life. I wanna talk with you about that today again. And then as we move our way through that today, we're gonna invite you into a prayer exercise because this is all part of this series that Pastor Brian started a few weeks ago for us when he looked at, uh, helped us look at the call to prayer. Last week, you may recall, we looked at the stuff about our stuff, what we can pray about. And then today, we're gonna broaden the circle a little bit instead of just about me, me and God. Now we're gonna take it out and we're gonna circle the church And then next week, we're going to talk about circling the city in prayer. Um, And we're going to invite you at 5 o'clock next week to go to seven different places around the community. Uh, Pick one, and you have some information in your bulletin today about that. And go pray at 5 o'clock. And then we're going to go the week after that about circling the globe and seeing what God is going to do through the life of our church as we pray. This is all part of our understanding that God has called our congregation to reach into 10% of the community over the next 10 to 12 years, and this program called 10, and that means we're going to have to reach into the lives of some 10,000 people in the next 10 years. And so we want to do that effectively, and the only way we can do that is if we start with prayer. 
There's no use us even talking about 10 if, unless we're willing to pray. So we're, gonna, we're starting there, and we'll, you'll see this develop in the weeks and months ahead, in the years ahead, but be it, I want it to be known right now. We're starting all of this with prayer. So in order to set the stage for what we're doing today, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua is about this far through the Bible. I mean, it's, it's just a few books in if you're unfamiliar with Scripture. Um, as a matter of fact, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Would you take that Bible out? The page numbers are on the screen behind me. And if you don't own one, take, a, take that Bible home as our gift to you. We'd be glad if you would have that. We're going to read a story that is somewhat familiar to some of us, taken from Joshua chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1. I want you to grab your Bible, please, okay? Pull one out and, or get, get it on your smone. Is that what he called it, your smartphone? Your smone, whatever it is, okay? Joshua chapter 6, we read this. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And some of you are going, I have no idea what this is about. What is Jericho? Who are the Israelites? And so forth. Let me see if I can give you a brief background to this. Okay, so in other words, I'm going to do the, 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 the years of this much in about three minutes, okay? To catch up the speed with where we are in Joshua chapter 6. 400 years before this event of Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. 400 years before that, there was a group, there was a family that were all descendants of a guy by the name of Israel. That family grew and grew and grew. That family became known as the Israelites. They are the Jewish people today. And they became slaves, 400 years prior to this, they became slaves in Egypt. The Egyptians enslaved them and made their lives miserable. And they were truly, truly slaves. At the end of that 400 years, a fellow by the name of Moses came along. Maybe you saw the Prince of Egypt, that, that animated Disney cartoon. That's, that was the guy, the Prince of Egypt. Moses came along as a Jewish man and said, we're going to get all these slaves out of here. And so they managed to get their freedom and they left Egypt toward what God had promised them that they would have something called the promised land. So they began a trek from Egypt to what we would consider today as modern-day Israel. That's where they were headed. They wanted around in the Sinai Peninsula, the land in between, for about 40 years. Think about it this way. If you've been slaves for 400 years, the next generation after that 400 years has got a lot to figure out. How are we going to do life? What's our government going to look like? What's our economy going to look like? What's our spirituality going to look like? And it took them 40 years to figure it out. As a matter of fact, everybody that was, had left Egypt, everybody died during that 40 years except two guys, one of them being a fellow by the name of Joshua. And so Joshua is leading the nation. They've got new thinking. They've, they've got a whole new ethos of who they are. They now know that God is with them. They've had some struggles with God along the way through those 40 years, but they finally got it figured out. This is who we are as a nation. God is sending us to the promised land, and they felt very confident in that. And the nations around them, the city-states around them, knew all about Israel and how God had worked among them for these 40 years, and the nations around them were, were terrified because in order for Israel to have the promised land, other nation-states were going to have to disappear. That's what happened to the city of Jericho. The people in Jericho have heard all about the Israelites. They've seen them for 40 years. They realize that they are at the doorstep. And so the people of Jericho have closed the city down and they are all inside. And God has a plan for the way in which this first city, this first piece of property that the Israelites are going to get in the promised land. It's a fascinating way in which God brings it to them. Verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, 
I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. And here is the military plan beginning in verse three. March round the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. It's a very unusual military plan. It's important to see that here, this first battle that they're going to get engaged in, that's not a typical battle. God says, you're not going to do things the normal way. If you follow me, I will miraculously go with you. And if you're, if you're willing to kind of go against the stream of how everybody else does things, if you're willing to allow me to be in charge of the army, we're going to have a different military plan. Look what happens. Go around the city with armed men for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march round the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear the sound, pardon me, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So they've got these ram's horns. As a matter of fact, we, we have one here. Um, and I've been practicing for weeks. Actually, I just practiced this morning. It only arrived this morning. And it's a lovely instrument. Wait till you hear this. Okay, I'm going to move out of junior high to senior high now. Isn't that lovely? Nobody's saying yes. Do you want me to play longer? Do you want me to play more? I'm not getting any yeses out of you. Okay, so this is real. I'm sure they played it way better than I do. I think I'm going to go back to playing the accordion. I can play it much better than I can play this. Nonetheless, my point being, this is what they, they the, the priests have got. Trump, these are, this is a ram's horn. Trump is just like this. And um, they, they sound that. That's the plan. They're going to march around for six days. On the seventh day, they're going to march seven times. And they're going to sound those things. And look what happens. Verse 15, okay? On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. And so how did it work? Verse 20 is how you see it coming about. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, look what happens. The wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They've left Egypt. They wandered around for 40 years, figuring out who they are. They get to Jericho. They have a very unusual battle plan. Go round once a day for six days. On the seventh day, go round seven times. Sound the trumpet, and the walls come down. And this is what they do. They claim that city as the first space of the new land. And you go, well, this is okay, but what does it all mean? Well, to, I've got to tell you, this is brand new learning for me. Just this week in doing some study, I, I, I figured this out. Verse 17 is the key. Here's what we read. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. What's that mean? Because if you want, what's, what's the purpose of Jericho? It's the first city. Well, here it is. Everything in that city was to be devoted to the Lord. Here's what that means. The Hebrew word there for devoted is this acharim, okay? And um, I want to remind you that that's a Hebrew word up there that's got three consonants in it. 
and you read from right to left, for those of you who know Hebrew. I'm just teasing with you. For those who know right from Hebrew, it's got three consonants, one that looks like kind of like an N, then an upside down L, and then some sort of D of some sort. The little dots underneath are vowels. The reason they have dotted vowels is because in the ancient Hebrew, they're writing on papyri, right? Papyrus was very expensive to buy. And so if, you, if you've got paper that's very expensive to buy, what do you think? You want to make the words as short as you can so you put more words on a page, right? So what they did in the ancient Hebrew was they literally left all the vowels out. So Hebrew doesn't have any vowels in it. But in modern day, we've, um, scholars have come back and pointed out where the vowels are by putting little dots, and you have to know what the little dots mean, what order they're in to understand what vowels are there. And so that word is karem, karem. And it's at the back of the throat. And here's what it means. It means devoted. And when we say devoted, it has a different understanding than what we would typically think devoted. In the context of that Hebrew word, it means that anything that is hostile to God, anything that is hostile to God, there are two choices for it. It either has to be destroyed or it has to be repurposed so that it is, can be used for the glory of God and be used for sacred use. If you know the story of Jericho, reading on through the rest of chapter 6, a lot of the people inside the city died. There were some who were saved. Remember Rahab, that name, if some of you may know scripture. And then anything that was of value, the silver, the gold, and all that sort of stuff that they found inside the city of Jericho, it had to be repurposed and it was used in the tabernacle moving forward as they worshiped God. So some of you already know that today... Okay, if Jericho's walls came down and they devoted everything to the Lord, some of you know that today we're going to invite you to get this in this prayer exercise and we're going to walk around the building and you're going, Wayne, are you expecting the walls to come down? Well, I hope not. That's what Joshua saw happen. But what I am hoping is that the same thing that took place in Jericho in terms of Jericho's use before God is the same thing that happens here today. That when Jericho fell... Uh, from that point on, everything was repurposed for sacred use. I want to be certain that everything that is about First Christian Church is always purposed for sacred use. And so today, I'm speaking fairly short today, leaving you time to actually walk around the building and pray. And uh, so that we would just simply say, God, may everything that happens here be for your glory. Now, we've done this kind of thing before. Many, many years ago, in a, I'll tell you, 1995, we were about to build this building. And uh, the, the, here's what happened. Well, don't, don't you think there's a handsome young fellow up there? You look good, Bryden. <laughs> look good. Handsome young fellow. There you go. We, this was, that was in November of 1995. Um, the picture on the left is taken from across the street. As a matter of fact, if you can see that tree that doesn't have any leaves on it, it is still standing right on the other side of that window today. And so that's where the building was going to be. And on a Saturday afternoon in November that year, um, a bunch of us came out here and we knew where the foundations of the building were going to be because the surveyors had come out and put down stakes and they had flags flying because it was going to be that they were going to actually bring the bulldozers the next week. So we brought our lawnmowers out and the, the lawn was about this, the grass was about this high maybe. And we, we got our lawnmowers and we literally pushed 
a, 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 a path, maybe four and a half, five feet wide, all the way around the foundations of where the building was going to be. And the next day on Sunday afternoon, all the church, we came from downtown, we came out here and the kids had their shovels and they were digging in the dirt. And all of us marched around the outline of this building. And we were saying, God, may everything in this place always be for your glory. May everything in this place always belong to you. And in many ways, that's the same sentiment that we're shooting for today. That as we walk this property today, that everything would be for God's glory. Everything would be devoted to God. If there's anything that, any activity that takes place that is not of you, God, that might be hostile to you, God, repurpose that or destroy it. I'm aware that in the years that We've been in this building. All kinds of things have taken place. And one of my roles as one of the staff members is to be certain that everything that does take place in this building honors God. I get that that's my responsibility. I'm also aware of this, that when it comes to the church called First Christian Church, this building is not really the church. This building is where the church of First Christian Church happens to gather. This happens to be the church's building. And so while I can say, I guess with some certainty as, as one of the pastors, that we look at what takes place in this building on a regular basis to make certain it's devoted to God, I don't know that I can always say with absolute certainty that everything that takes place within the body of Christ called First Christian Church, that all those activities are devoted to God. There's no way that I can know all the intimate details of everybody's life. And frankly, that's not my role, nor is it my responsibility Instead, it is your responsibility. If we are the body of Christ, all the activities that we get engaged in, those need to be, we need to be responsible for that. It's not, it's, it's, it's not healthy for me to be, if you will, God's policeman in your lives. What's my job? My job is to, in fact, encourage you in grace and encourage you over a long period of time to understand the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the way in which God leads and calls you regarding the daily activities of your lives and whether or not they honor God. That's your responsibility. So symbolically, we're going to go around the building today. And as we go around this building, we're praying about what happens in this space but much more importantly, what happens in this space called us. Because if we're going to take on 10% of the city, if we really are going to see what we can do to change the city of Decatur and the ethos of Decatur, we better be certain that our own house is in order long before we start talking about the city. That's our responsibility. Not my responsibility, but our responsibility. Because I want you to think about what happened with the people of Israel when they came out of Jericho. They left Jericho. Some, some of the Israelites were left behind. And then in the months that followed along, as they developed into more of the, and moved into more of the promised land, they would come to a space and Joshua would say to one of the 12 tribes, this is your space, you stay here. And they'd come to the next space and they'd say to the next tribe, this is your space. And they made their way so that all 12 tribes were responsible to develop all the land. And they would say, okay, tribe A... 
Tribe B is going to need some help to develop their land. So you, you, you be responsible for your space, but as you're responsible for your space, come over and help the guys in, in section B. And they did that, all kind of intermingling and working together until the whole promised land belonged to the people of Israel. We all have the responsibility to seek God. Joshua needed and expected all the people to be living their lives so that they were devoted to God. See, you can't allow professional pastors to get engaged in that by ourselves. I guess you could say in some ways we are paid to pray. Fair enough. But when pastors do for God what God has called the people of God to do, everyone suffers. Never let it be said anything but other than we are co-laborers together. It can never be that those of us on staff are providing a service and you are the customers. We cannot have consumers. We are co-laborers, co-owners together, working for what God is going to do in our lives and through our lives. And so and to that extent, today I'm inviting you to pray. Here's how we're going to do it. I want you to take your bulletin or your program and you can find a sheet in there that looks like this. Look for the side that says circle the church, okay? Because what we're going to do is we're going to walk around the perimeter of the church and I'm, I'm going to give you some instructions as to how this is going to go. And you can see some of the prayers that are going to take place. There are four colors there. In the four perimeters of the, church, of the church's property, there are stands with with colored balloons on them, a blue, yellow, red, and green set of, of balloons. And um, we're going to ask you to go and pray. Now, I know that not everyone can walk. Some of you, uh, you know, just physically, it's not, you're not able to do that. Fair enough. We're going to ask you to stay in this room. And Pastor BJ is going to lead you through the same prayer exercise that everybody else is doing as they're walking around. All right? It takes about seven and a half to eight, nine minutes to do the full walk if you're going slowly. So we're going to ask you to do this. Don't go get your kids. If you've got children in Discovery Zone or F4, please leave them there because they're involved in a teaching session right now and we don't want to disrupt those classes. I promise you, you'll be able to get to them on time, regular pickup time, all right? You walk as you pray. And we're all going to start in different spaces. As a matter of fact, those of you in the balcony and towards the back, we want you to start at the green space where the green dot is, okay? Those of you right here toward me on the front here, we're going to start right out here at the blue, blue set, okay? Then those of you towards the back and in the back of the balcony, you're going to go and start in the very back corner of the parking lot over there. These guys are going to start down here. And it's going to take you around the back of the building, so be careful, walk carefully, walk slowly, and this is what you pray as you go, walk, walk clockwise. And when you get to the island house, this little house in the, in the center of the parking lot, we've had that for a number of years, and it's coming down in about two or three weeks. So if you want to march around that seven times <laughs> and see it come down, go for it. Go for, it would save us a ton of money, okay? Save us a ton of money for that to come down just automatically by itself through the help of God this week. That'd be very cool, all right? I'm inviting everybody to do this because this is not, if we're going to be the church that God calls us to be, this can't be about Wayne Kent and only Wayne Kent's job. This is our responsibility as a congregation to pray about the activities and the, the ethos and the thinking of who we are as a church as we move into the new places that God is calling us to move in. 
We got to do it with prayer. So you got your you got you got your marching orders. But before you do that, before you leave, I just want to give you one more thing. I'm gonna do something that I don't know that I've ever done in, in many years of preaching. I'm gonna read something to you today from um, from a book by Tom Rayner. Tom Rayner is um, the president and CEO of Lifeway Books and Lifeway Publishing, which is the Southern Baptist Publishing House. And he recently, um, this is a brand new book. I've had it for two or three weeks. He recently um, visited with groups of 14 different groups of people who were from churches where the churches had died, where the ministry had spiraled in a bad way and eventually they'd closed the doors and basically did an autopsy of 14 different congregations. You know, the medical community does autopsies to say what went wrong and how can we make certain this doesn't happen in the next person. Does that make sense? So he did autopsies, if you will, of 14 different churches and came up with some reasons why these different congregations had some trouble. And one story particularly, and again, I'm reading to you today, so one story particularly I think will be helpful, okay? He, re- he writes this. The man sitting across from me was not enjoying the moment. We were talking about a church he loved. Indeed, it was a small group of two men and three women. They all seemed ill at ease. We were there talking about their church that had died four years earlier, and Mike was the first to respond. He still referred to it as his church. He was having trouble letting go. He was grieving. I asked Mike and all the others, the survivors, I asked them a question that I ask all the groups of deceased churches. Did the church members pray together? Each group inevitably would pause. They didn't know how to answer the question. See, most of the churches, almost to the day when they shut the doors, they had some sort of prayer time. It may have been part of worship services. It may have been with some type of fellowship gathering like a Wednesday meal. So this group was the same. They said, sure, we prayed together. They were unanimous in their response, but there wasn't much enthusiasm. Dorothy spoke next. Oh yeah, she said, we prayed together as a church. We had a Wednesday night meal time and prayer time. When we were larger, we were able to afford cooks to prepare our meals. But as we lost, lost our members, we had to go potluck. And that was such a shame because you never knew what other people would bring. I remember one Wednesday night when we had 12 vegetables and one dessert, no meat, no bread. It was such a shame. I realized she'd gotten off topic, so I guided her back. Tell me about the prayer time on Wednesday night, I asked. Well, she said thoughtfully, Carl would pass out a prayer list to us all. Carl was a deacon. He had a copy machine in his office, but he had to let her, we had to let her go because we couldn't. Pardon me. Carl was a deacon. He had a copy machine in his office. We used to have a church secretary type and copy the prayer requests, but we had to let her go because we couldn't afford her. And Carl just kind of picked up the slack from there. You know, it was a sad day when we could no longer have a full-time secretary. That was such a shame. Again, she'd gotten off topic, and I asked her to return. What about the prayer? Well, that's pretty much it. Carl would pass out the prayer list, and one person would have the blessing. They'd pray for those on the list, and then we would eat. Though if I told you yet about the one time when we had no meat and no bread, that was such a shame. He says, then in reflection, 
It was at this point that I would ask questions like, do you really think that was a meaningful time of prayer? Do you think that's how the New Testament churches prayed? There would inevitably be a pause and then an admission. No, that was just routine or ritual. It would hardly qualify as corporate prayer like the New Testament sense. And then I'd watch it say as they would reflect and their eyes would open. They would remember those days when church members came together for powerful times of prayer. Some recalled 24-hour prayer emphases the churches had. And those good old days of prayer typically coincided with the best days of the churches, at least to the best of their recollection. It's no coincidence. Prayer and the health of a church always go hand in hand. When the church is engaged in meaningful prayer, it becomes both the cause and the result of greater church health. Friends, from all the numbers and all the markers and all the metrics and all that sort of stuff, we are a church that's pretty healthy. Praise be to God. It's been our story for a lot of years. But may we never forget. May we never forget and take that health for granted. Let us always be a church that comes to God first in every endeavor we have, in every endeavor before us. So let me pray for you, and I'm sending you on your way. Lord, in these next few minutes, the congregation called First Christian Church is going to pray. Hear our prayers, Lord. Even with our guests joining us, God, hear everyone's prayers. Draw us all close to you. And Lord, may, for those who don't know yet, may this even be an exercise where they discover who you are. We are declaring that we are relying on you for the life of this church. Not in any kind of human creativity in and of itself or some brilliant ideas or bright ideas from staff members or anything like that. Lord, instead, we rely fully and totally on you for the life of First Christian Church, for the future of our church, and in the long run, Lord, for the future of our city. But for today, God, hear our prayers about this congregation, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, folks, here's the deal. Take that piece of paper. You don't have to stop at where the balloons are. You just kind of walk past them and pray those prayers as you walk and walk while praying. Pardon me. Walk while you pray. Talk about what you're praying about with, your peop- with the people around you. If you can't walk, stay in the room. Pastor BJ will lead you, th- lead you through this. If you're a guest and you'd like to meet some of us, go on the prayer walk and we'll meet you at the, um, at the welcome desk after the service. God bless you. Enjoy your time outside. Thanks for being with us.